Beyond the Fairways. With PGA Tour professional Jay Delsing and hosted by four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Now, it's Beyond the Fairways. Beyond the Fairways presented by Doherty Business Solutions. We drop this every Wednesday and along with Jay Delsing, I'm Dan McLaughlin. We have had some of the biggest names in golf. You can go back, it's on our different pages and make sure you listen to Tom Watson, David Faraday, we have had, give me some Barbara others. Nicholas, Barbara Nicholas. We had Gary Nicholas. McCord, Lee Trevino. Oh, uh, man, Andy North, uh, Dottie Pepper. Curtis Strange. Curtis Strange, uh, Shane Bacon. A lot of, lot of really fun peeps. And today we will visit with, and you'll visit with, Olin Brown. I'm looking forward to hearing your, your talk with Olin, a contemporary of yours and someone you know quite well. Yeah, such a really good, just a really good human being. Danny happens to be a great golfer, made over $16 million in his career. He won a, a senior U.S. Open. But what was really special is this past U.S. Open, this past Father's Day, his son Olin qualified for his first U.S. Open at at L.A. Country Club, and that was a really special event for them. So we have eight kids combined, and you have four (laughs) daughters. I have two daughters, two sons. Everybody loves golf for the most part in our families. Could you imagine that, though, seeing your son qualify for the U.S. Open? No. I mean, I said to him, what was it like – you know the prep, and he's like, "Oh, I've never been more exhausted. I prep for I prep for O Junior. I prep for his caddy, and I prep for me." You know, he said, and then I had to walk a hundred miles for the week. But <laughs> uh, he just said it was just a great experience. It was fun to see him out there. And Danny, he talks um, uh, about L.A. Country Club, and uh, I can't wait to ask him about L.A. Country Club and what it was like because it was hard to tell from the TV. Olin Brown had a heck of a career. Uh, nine professional wins, three on the PGA Tour. He was on the Corn Ferry, won four times. He's had a couple of, you mentioned it, the, the Champions Tour. He's had a couple of wins there. This guy could flat out play. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a really unique story. And I, I know this just because I've known him for so long, but he didn't really start playing golf till he was 19. And um, in this day and age, you know, it's a, a different uh, uh, that's a different animal. But what I wanted to ask him, and I can't wait for him to hear hear what he says is, the thoughts that we've asked the great Jack Nicholas and, and Watson and uh, Curtis Strange and those other uh, uh, Hall of Famers about playing too much, about are we special, are our kids specializing too much too soon and things like that. Can and, you do that, you think? Yeah. I mean, can that happen? What's his thoughts and, and how, you know, from his chair and the way that he went about it, it's different, man. The muscles are different, too. In every different sport, your your muscles, the categories of that, I think about a back when you're talking about golf, of, of just making sure you develop as a young kid. And, and maybe taking time off is the best thing, or just playing another sport, not picking up a club. Yeah, no doubt, Danny. When, when the weather turned lousy here growing up in the Midwest, man, I didn't even know where my clubs were. I was always playing basketball. I played football. I played – I didn't play organized football in high school, but I played – I would have played soccer – uh, and I would have played baseball if they'd have let me. I'd have played all four of them if they'd have let me. They they wouldn't let us do that. So I just stuck with basketball in the winter, and golf in the summer, and um, it was it was awesome. So the uh, the PGA Tour kind of split up this week, but the the primary focus will be with the Scottish Open, and then you have uh, the the British Open, and and guys are playing overseas. 
It's cold. It's windy. We're going to talk about playing in those conditions. Also, you're going to see some unique ways to chip as guys will use a rescue club or something different than what you might use uh, normally that you see here in the States. We're going to talk about that. And then we'll have our picks of the week, the Scottish Open at the Renaissance in North Berwick. So we're going to talk about uh, the Scottish Open as well. Our picks have been on fire, folks. Got to pay attention to our picks. We had... Three our, three of our four picks finished in the top six last week. Not bad. Pretty good. Not bad at all. That's Jay Delsing. I'm Dan McLaughlin. It's Beyond the Fairways, and we're presented by Doherty Business Solutions, and we'll visit with Olin Brown coming up. Doherty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. It's time for the Beyond the Fairways Player Profile. Let's get back to Jay and Dan. I am sitting down with my longtime friend, three-time PGA Tour winner, two-time Champions Tour winner, Senior Open Champion, Olin Brown. Olin, thanks for joining me this morning. Bird, we don't talk frequently enough, but it's great to be invited on your show. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. I sit here and I'm, I did my prep for you, and I couldn't stop smiling when I started thinking about how many practice rounds we played together, how many dinners we had, how many laughs. And some tears uh, that we had together. It was really a, a, a terrific. How about all the conspiracy theories? We've had a few of those. <laughs> We've had a few of those. Isn't it amazing? I wonder how much red wine is associated with a conspiracy theory that we've had. Oh, well, it's degrees up, right? So the first <laughs> bottle is kind of you're, you're, you're jockeying for position. The second bottle, who knows what's coming? And the third bottle, the world's on fire. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's a bad guy after bottle three. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Well, where do we start? So, oh, take us through a little bit about just how you fell in love with the game. I love hearing these stories from, from guys. You've been a pro for almost 40 years now, um, playing professionally. It's funny because I, I, uh, I was exposed to golf as a, as a little guy through my dad, but it was a fleeting kind of exposure, right? Like something to do on the weekend, go take a golf lesson. I mean, I'm, I'm nine years old and all, all I remember was that I couldn't do what the pro was asking me to do, getting a lesson, and I threw an absolute fit and started just, you know, ripping at the ball. Anyway, uh, and and then and then I, I didn't pick up a club again until I was 19 years old, you know. So I was just fortunate. I got a I got a job working in a, in a bag room, you know, summer after freshman year in college, and the game just kind of grabbed me by the throat and couldn't understand what you know because I played a bunch of sports as a kid. I couldn't understand why I was so bad and why I could be 
hit a good shot one minute and such an awful one the next. And it just, I don't know how to explain it other than it just got my attention. Well, I know the story. And so that's kind of why I wanted to to bring it up because it's an unusual story, especially in the modern day today, oh, where the kids are playing, you know, right out of birth, it seems like. I, I think that, well, there are two schools of thought. One is you immerse yourself in any one thing. Um, and if you've ever read Daniel Coyne's book, The Talent Code, you know, it's 10,000 hours of quality commitment to a project. Plus, you have to have the aptitude, right? But I think there are two schools of thought. One is, is that, that young kids are getting immersed in their various sports early on. And then there's another, which is go do as many different things as you can, learn as much as you can from each, and see what translates from sport to sport. And personally, I think that there's a, there's a correlation between people who play a variety of different sports and have success at the highest level. I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon, for example, grew up playing soccer and was the most athletic center of his era and was a little bit undersized, frankly, right? And then you see these other guys who just dedicate themselves to one sport, men and women, and and fry out on it because the tunnel vision is so intense. The lack of diversity in things that you're doing brings the, you know, the doldrums and boredom and and burnout. And, uh, and so we encouraged our kids to play a variety of different sports until they wanted to settle in on one and then you know like my son is playing golf now but he played lacrosse he played a variety of different sports as a kid you know he played football flag football he played lacrosse he played soccer he played and our daughter the same and then she ended up playing tennis so i'm I'm a fan of offering a bunch of different options to kids because it you know it feeds their brains they don't fry out they get to enjoy the different aspects of the individual sport versus the uh, team athletics so I just think there's a lot there's a lot to be said for a lot of different stuff. You know, Olin, it's interesting because Jack Nicholas says the same thing. Um, Dottie Pepper said the same thing. Curtis Strange. We've had so many guys say and introduce your kids to a wide variety and let them go, you know, and let them see where they kind of gravitate towards. It's not just sports, though. It's life, too, right? I mean, like we grew up in, well, my kids grew up in Florida. We, I moved to Florida after going to college, my wife and I. And we told them they could go to college anywhere they wanted outside of the state of Florida, go somewhere else. I just thought it was important to get a different perspective on things. You know, like you, I have a lot of curiosities. You know, I like to travel. I like going to museums. I like learning about different cultures. Um, my dad is from Chile, so I'm half Latin. There's so many things, you know, I think people, especially in this country, really believe that the world begins in L.A. and ends in New York. And it's a big world, man. There's a lot out there. There's a lot going on. It's a really cool place. Let's talk a little bit about this most recent U.S. Open and how special it had to be for you and your family out at Los Angeles Country Club. Well, first of all, uh, we had, yeah, we had a great week. Um, you know, O's been trying to qualify for the U.S. Open for a while. He's had his corn ferry card a couple times. And, you know, he's one of those kind of struggling peripheral type golfers who's got a lot of ability and hasn't quite figured the solution to the question. Right. Um, but he qualified for the U S open out of Columbus, which was the tour site. He played really well there. And then he ended up tournament was at LA country club this year, which is one of <clears throat> the coolest, you know, I mean, there, there are these, there's this list of courses that everybody associates with the U S open. It's Wingfoot, it's Oakmont, it's Beth page, it's Marion, Shinnecock. Shinnecock, you know, and, and, and a lot of that tends to be in the Northeast. And then of course there's Pebble beach, which is my favorite place to play LA country club, which had never hosted the U S open. 
and it, it's a George Thomas design. And those three courses in L.A. that, you know, that golden triangle of golf between Bel Air, Riviera and LACC. I, I know there were a lot there was a lot of flack flying around about about the golf tournament, about the scoring and this and the other thing. But, you know, l- let's defend the club. First of all, uh, they, they had four times the rain fall that they have annually there. And there was cloud cover. So the greens were a little more receptive than they wanted. And 10 under led after 36 holes, 10 under won the tournament. So I think the course acquitted itself pretty well. The USGA set it up as a, there, there were a lot of half holes there, you know, three, uh, f- four and a halfs and three and a half. Right. The par- whether it was a par four, four and a half, or a par five, four and a half, or a par three that was three and a half. And so there was a lot of volatility. You guys, you know, guys could go out there and make a bunch of birdies, but they were going to make a few others along the way. And it was just one of those kinds of golf courses that allowed greatness to shine. Great players shot good scores. And there were two 62s the opening day, and then Tommy Fleetwood shot 63 on Sunday. But other than that, it wasn't like a, a you know, a bloodbath or anything. But the course was, I thought, I thought the course was just magnificent and it's a, it's a wonderful design. And I think that, you know, this whole distance debate has got everybody on edge. But one of the things that I noticed with two of the holes in particular out there, number six and number 15 was, (laughs) was the USJ put these guys who just can rear back and hit the ball so far, Jay, it's just, it's shocking to watch. I mean, everybody hits at 350 out there, right? But they put them in the 57 yard range to the, to the hole on number six and the 75 yard or 85 yard range to the hole on 15 with the wind down and left to right to no area, no landing area. So what they did was they, they decided, okay, so these guys can hit it forever. Well, let's give them an uncomfortable shot. That's too short. See how they do with that. There's more than one way to skin that distance cat. Uh, I think the ball goes too far. There's no question about it. You know, all the guys who are wrapped up that the athletes are better now. That's a bunch of, that's a bunch of BS. No, there's never been a better athlete than Sam Snead, and there's never been anybody stronger playing the game than Jack Nicklaus. So I, I don't want to hear it. Are there more? Certainly. But the simple fact is, is that driving distance has changed so much. I mean, everybody hits at 300 now. And when you and I were on tour, you know, I think average distance was just under 260. So uh, it's not the athlete. It's, the, it's that the equipment has enabled the athlete to swing more freely. And uh, it's getting harder and harder to defend those great old venues. And, you know, Augusta National is spending millions upon millions of dollars to try and make classic holes relevant again. I mean, number number 13 at Augusta started out in the 465 range, and it's 5-whatever, 545 now. I mean, how do you how do you rationalize that in this day and age of, of uh, cost of real estate and maintenance? So... There, there's a lot on the table, but man, I, I tell you what, LA Country Club, a 10 out of 10, spectacular venue, and a wonderful experience for all. Hey guys, I love the conversation. We'll continue that in just a moment. Need to tell our listeners, now that we're in the thickest summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Jay uses it. I use it. We have friends that use it. My family uses it. You're going to save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Then get back outside and soak up that warm weather. Stick to your wellness goals with premium, ready-to-eat meals featuring high-quality ingredients such as broccolini, leeks, and asparagus. Too busy 
Running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch to Go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers. Looking for calorie-conscious options this summer? Try delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. It is the place to go, and that means it's the place to bring it right to your front door. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. This July, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash BTF50. Use that code BTF50, and you're going to get 50% off. That's code BTF50 at factormeals.com slash BTF50 to get 50% off. Well, it, it was a gem. I thought NBC did a phenomenal job of accenting Olin and his kind of um, adventure. You snuck on there a little bit, and, and, and I, I loved your comment about the prep. Like I think you'd said you'd never been so exhausted trying to get ready for a U.S. Open that you weren't playing in. No. It's <laughs> exactly, it's exactly right. You know, <laughs> I was, I was trying for three people. I was trying for, Oh, for his caddy and for myself, you know, trying to get my act together. <laughs> and then I had to walk a hundred miles for the week. So it was, uh, but it was, a, it was, we had a ball, you know, we had a ball. It's really interesting. Olin, isn't it? When we've got this debate about the ball, we've got, we've got the characteristics of the player, the game, the, the, the wildly, specific exercises the the players are much more fit than we were but when you take these guys and make them uncomfortable even with the ball in their hand like on 15 they really didn't know what to do did they well it's it's certainly a challenge you know the, the thing always got me about golf is it always keeps you on edge you're never comfortable um i'm a pretty good putter and three foot putts are not that comfortable Right. <laughs> and, um, it's just, there's always golf will always find your weakness. So if, you know, it's like, if, if you struggle with a particular shot, your ball will end up in a position where you have to hit that particular shot an awful lot. It's just, I don't it, know what it, it is. Just it's just does kind that of massive karma thing. I don't know. There's so much to this game that makes it so great in the old, in the old days, get off my lawn in the old days <laughs> when you and I, when you and I were 30 years old and playing and playing professionally, uh, full time, the, the golf ball, the golf ball seemed to have a mind of its own. Some of the time, you know, wander off into places that, you, you know, that you, that you couldn't imagine. And, you know, when the wind blew, you know, if you had to hit a cut shot to a back right pin into a three club win, the ball could get there. It could come up 25 yards short, you know, and you just don't see that now. There's a, the, the equipment is so good and, and it's so much more reliable and uh, consistent that in the old days, if a guy had a driver, a wedge, and a and a putter that he really really liked, he never let those three clubs out of his sight. And now everything's replaceable. I mean, it's replaceable tomorrow. Like Sam Snead, I heard a story where Sam Snead played the same set of irons for 17 years, and every year he'd send them back to Wilson, and they'd redo them. They'd refinish them, they'd regroove them, they'd re-chrome them and send it back to them so he could play with them. That's not the case anymore. You know, we're buying new product annually and we switch clubs with frequency. Uh, I know, for example, that when the grooves get a little bit worn on my wedges, I pop new wedges in and that might be once every four or five weeks. Things have changed dramatically in the modern era and it's all to the good, by the way. You know, it, 
it means there's accessibility for a lot of people and there's quality product for a lot of people. You used to go, you remember when we used to go searching for like a, like the persimmon driver and and you'd find one that was, you'd find one that was pretty, that was dead though. And so you'd have to file that away and then you go find another one that was ugly, but it worked, you know I mean? The search component of the game has, has really evolved to a fine tuning component. So guys are able to dial things in with spin rates and launches and all this kind of stuff that really maximizes their, their ability to deliver a more consistent strike and a more consistent performance every, every day. The thing that I can remember if you were ever in that, that dilemma of trying to find a driver, which I felt like I was all the time, it took them 24 hours to put together one club one club, yeah. you know, and, and now they come out with 15 heads and six different shafts and a wrench. And they're like, no, oh, here, we'll pop this on and here. And, and off we go. It's amazing. And a launch monitor and a GST quad and, you know, uh, and range balls, by the way, that actually look like the golf ball that you play on the golf course. Right. So everything gets dialed in. Like my drivers, I think I had a corner on the epoxy market between the heel and the toe on my old persimmon club. And by the way, that was the worst feeling in the world when you took a yellow striper and hit and hit a beautiful driver off the toe and you looked at it and it was caved in. You had to send it to get it refaced. And when it came back, it didn't look anything like it used to look. It's no different than the generation that preceded us too, right? Well, I mean, I remember Tony Pena bending clubs over his knee. You know, he said, no, that doesn't look right. And he'd take a towel and he'd kind of He'd warm rub, up the shaft, the shaft yep. until it got warm and then he put it to his knee and bend it till he liked to look in the face i can remember the guys and the way they put their grips the way the older fellas had taught me how to play the game put their grips on their driver was always and you know nobody liked hitting hooks so that, that face was always open just a little bit and the driver sat off of the heel just a little bit but anyway those those stories that is how much the game has changed. And it's really, I mean, Owen, to me, it's really the Tiger Woods effect. Everything has gotten so highly specific because of the money and the attention and the everything else that he's brought into the game. Well, it's not just Tiger Woods. I mean, it's a natural evolution of everything, right? I mean, cars are made with plastics now instead of steel. They weigh, they weigh 3,500 pounds instead of 7,000 pounds. And, you know, everything has gotten more aerodynamic, more fluid, more except more um, refined and it, it's, it's happened in every industry, but it's certainly happened a lot in golf where, you know, there wasn't maybe to your point that, you know, the, the eyeballs that, that guys like that brought to the game made it more, a more viable operation, right? I mean, golf, golf companies used to be ancillary to bigger sports companies, Wilson sporting goods or AMF or whatever. Right. Right. <clears throat> and now golf companies are standalone. You got Callaway golf and you got Strix on and you got other companies, right. That the golf, the golf division makes sense to them. I mean, the only company who's ridiculous that it didn't make sense to was Nike. Right. <laughs> and they should have had golf opera. They had bottomless pockets. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I know we're going to go there at some point today, but it's like the Saudis with, with the money injecting into golf. Right. I mean, you got a company like Nike, which has, I don't know what the market cap is. I don't know what their revenues are, but it's, I don't know. It's a hundred times what other, what golf companies are because it's not golf. It's a sports, sports operation. Let's transition into live and, and talk a little bit about your thoughts on live. I, I've never been more disappointed and sadder to be associated with the PGA tour. When I heard the announcement, I really was, I've been proud. I never knew if I was ever going to make it on the PGA tour. And the fact that I got, 
the privilege to play the game, get to play with people like you and things like that. It's just been a true honor. I just wish we would have had a little more, oh, I don't know what the word is. Couldn't we have said, hey, we're working on a deal? Hey, we're thinking about this. To come out and say we've merged just hit me right in the gut. I'll push back a little bit on the merger. There isn't a merger. What we have here is a framework argument, uh, right? A framework deal. I, I don't know what's going on. I think the punch in the gut is that the announcement was made that two guys autonomously negotiated something to try and resolve a dispute between two parties. We were all in the pack. We were on the board of the tour. And, you know, the tour has always been a collaborative type deal. And the, the independent directors have generally deferred to the players on competitive concerns. And the, independent, and the player directors have always deferred to the independent directors on business concerns. Look, we're golf pros. They run big businesses. Golfers like to think that we know a lot about a lot, but we don't know Jack Diddley about it. No, we know, we know about how to play golf, right? I don't know how to run a business. And so it it was a nice blend of perspective and experience that made the whole thing work. That seemed to change in the last couple of years. There's been this picture painted for a long time about how things operate. And what we're seeing now is the underbelly of negotiation and business. Golf used to be a game of integrity. Well, you know what? Nobody gets a penalty for anything anymore. There are slow players. Nobody gets fined for slow play. Nobody gets a shot, Doc. There are breaches of the rules that are obvious that are that are on TV, on tape, and discussed openly. Nothing. You know, so, so golf always held itself to a standard that was a little bit different than some of the other sports, right? And I think that there's been... I think there's been a corrupting of, of things as we entered into this technological era, right? Where things are more readily available and easier to identify and everything's under a microscope. I think golf has lost it. It's uh, trying to, I'm struggling for the word because I want to say it just right. Has lost its. It's North. Maybe, maybe that's as simple as just lost its North. I mean, there was a great story about this guy who qualified for some tournament, you know, he shot 62 or whatever it was. And the grains had been aerified and, you know, he discovered after the fact that he wasn't allowed to repair the aerification holes. You can do anything else. And so he called a penalty on himself and everybody goes, wow, that's incredible, right? That used to be the standard in our game. You see guys fudging their lies or moving their ball marks on the greens now and flashing signs for clubs hit and stuff like that. And, you know, there just doesn't seem to be any accountability in the game anymore. And that's, I think, where people have lost their sense of humor about it you know oh i love gary woodland i love uh but what what happened at the masters this year with gary and kepka was so obvious to somebody that's played it was so obvious they were flashing clubs of course they told him what to hit and, and for them to deny it like they did was really brutal you know it's a heat of the moment thing and try doing that with andy bean in your group he'd wrap he'd wrap one of those paws around your neck tell you that there there are going to be no funny business out there on the golf course right it's you play your game i'll play my game we'll add them up at the end of the day right and i think that's one of the things that was so attractive to a lot of people about the game now there were some ridiculous rulings too right people got absolutely hosed <laughs> like when stads when stads with the towel and San with Diego. the towel oh, and, and tory pines brutal. you know he wasn't intending to build a stance and, and they hammered him 
and he lost the tur- I think he lost the tournament or he, he ended up finishing second or third instead of second. Right. You know, it was like $44,000. I can remember something like that where he had to forego. Yeah. That was back when a car cost five grand though. You right. know I mean? That was, that was, that was a big deal. Yeah. Right. And so they made a big ceremony of him going out there and chopping down the tree one time or whatever. It was funny. <laughs> right. Right. But th- there are circumstances like that. Like, Brad Fable and I go, both got disqualified at U.S. Open qualifying one year. We were a twosome. In the morning, they handed me Brad's scorecard, and they handed Brad my scorecard, and we kept it and you know, like that. And then the afternoon, the guy just gave us each our own scorecards. And I kept Brad's score on my scorecard. He kept his on uh, mine on his, and neither one of us checked it when we signed it. And he got dis- he, he qualified and got DQ'd. Right. I, I didn't qualify. I got the queue too. But, you know, that's the kind of thing where you go, all right, that's just not right. You know, when things were more absolute, reason wasn't brought into the equation, but neither was arbitrariness. It was just a lot easier. Things were more clear. Things are not so clear any longer. To get back to your point with Andy Bean, I can remember <laughs> the very first time I played with Hubert Green. We were in a church, man, out on the golf course. We were adhering right. by all the rules. This And listen, Hubert turned out to be one of, kind of like a mentor to me. He was so good to me. But I understood by no uncertain terms, this is how this was going to go today. And right. no one was going to step out of line. And you hear stories about that in the Ryder Cup when there was, when there was funny stuff going on. And, you know, one, one of the teammates would straighten out one of the guys from the other team and say, we're not doing that today. You know, there, there are those stories. It was very collegial, uh, but it was also very competitive. And now I guess there's so much at stake. There's a little bit more complacency about, about comportment. I miss some of that. And again, here, get off my lawn. I, yeah. I, but I miss some of that. The elevated events, in my opinion, came too soon. All of the, and, and with, with no way to pay in the long term. And so I understand that where we could have some sort of financial issues here, we would have had zero problem raising many, any money. Oh, wherever we would have tried any sort of um, private equity, any sort of, you know, wealthy individuals. I mean, think about that. We're getting into the nuts and bolts of things now. And, you know, you and I have had conversations like this over the years in a general, in a general sense without really understanding specifics. But 100%, I agree with you that things got accelerated to the point that they were, that they weren't manageable. They weren't, weren't at all sustainable. They were just, they were kind of like window dressing. And <clears throat> there's no question, jump on board, tripling and quadrupling things at such a at such a quick rate was putting a lot of strain on the system. Part of the thing that has made golf sustainable over the years, there it's, it's been multifaceted, right? There's been reasonable, sustainable and manageable growth. Have we accelerated opportunities for players like other sports like baseball or football or basketball? No, those are mainstream sports. Golf is more of a niche sport, an individual sport. It's not a team sport. Everything's tied nowadays to TV revenue all of these things have to be part of the mix of the equation. And if you immediately pick a sponsor on tour and say, we want you to be one of the elevator events, seven and a half million isn't enough anymore. We need to be at 30 million in three years. And the guy looks at you and goes, I can't do that, man. I, I, I'm a publicly traded company. I've got people that I have to answer to. I, I can't come up with those numbers. And so I think that was certainly a concern. Now there are companies that could do that, but you know, we all learned to drive a car at about 25 miles an hour, but it was, it was like getting in the car and driving at 
125 miles an hour without any understanding of what that car would do, right? And so it was precipitated by <clears throat> what came about with uh, Live Golf, and it was a response to that. It was a knee-jerk reaction for sure. I just think things got so out of hand so quickly that people with some sense tapped the brakes awfully hard and said, we got to fix, we got to fix this problem. And that's what happened. Oh, do you see any way for these live players to come back? It's a really interesting question. I don't know what kind of deals are going to be made. I don't think that the guys who didn't go, I mean, they're making fun of, um, yeah. Anyway, you know, he got up there and he said, well, you know what? I, I've stayed loyal to our should get paid too and i everybody's getting on his case and he was doing it tongue-in-cheek the point is is that it goes back to my original point i think there are commissioners that we've had on our tour who would have said simply no pga tour the pga (laughs) tour is no the pga tour is the best tour in golf we will offer the best tournaments for our members and that's the only statement that he would have put forward i just think that we got ourselves we got ourselves into way too big of a a loop here yep Oh. Yeah, man, we got into real trouble where we started dr- drawing lines that, sh- that nobody knew what the what the rules were going to be, right? And all of a sudden, two months ago or whenever it was, out of the blue, hey, we got a deal. We got a deal with the PIF. What? Hang on a second. We've we've been hearing that these guys we're not bending to them at all, right? And the fact is that everybody knew that you couldn't do battle against the sovereign nation. You got, you got, you got a limited war chest, you know, and if you've already incurred 50 million in legal fees, by the way, that's a lot of money to pay for what, 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 what have we accomplished in spending 50 million in legal fees at this point? This is a purely financial deal. Oh, there's no question. Here's the, here's the last thing though, that I'd love to hear your thoughts on this merger, which is not a merger, but this, the frameworks was a better option then running through all the money in, in the legal system and then coming, whatever was going to come out or could possibly have been exposed in that legal battle. Well, there are two, reasons, worse, there are two reasons why you don't, yeah, there are two reasons why you don't go into legal battle. One is you don't have the money to deal with it. Two is you have stuff no, you don't want people don't want to know people about. about. <laughs> hey, I so appreciate your time. Man, I can't believe I've taken this much of your time. I, I really appreciate it. Tell, tell me, um, what, when are you playing next, and, and how can we uh, follow you? In terms of following me, I'm on Twitter, and, you know, I get myself in trouble. My kids are looking over my shoulder and saying, Dad, you can't say stuff like that. So, you know, I'm trying to tone it down a little bit. Uh, you got to be you gotta be able to accumulate something with age, even if it's not wisdom. Get off my lawn. It's the breakdown. <laughs> there it is. A win for the ages. That is better than most. Better than most. Maybe. Yes, sir. Here it is. The return to glory on Beyond the Fairways. Fascinating visit with Olin Brown. Played on the PGA Tour, now on the PGA Tour Champions. Nine professional wins and a lot of great insight. You mentioned this in our open He actually was playing golf at the age of nine and then quits for 10 years and picks back up the clubs when he's 19. Isn't that crazy? I I knew that story because, like I said, I've known him so long, but it was, you know, he said he was interested in a lot of different things, even today, you know, he's, and and so he got to experience a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And it's like, he looks at us like, this is just my path and, and, and the way that I did it. And uh, it's all good. He also talked about it's murky on the PGA tour right now, meaning about the rules and some of the ways that things are carried out here in 2023. Absolutely, Danny. I mean, look, we, we were taught 
a certain way and a certain code. And he brought up playing with Andy Bean. He would have walked, if something kind of shady or sketchy would have happened, this big guy would have walked over and put his big arm around you and, and kind of get you in a semi-headlock in a, in a non-joking way, say, there's no funny business out here today. Sure. And, you know, we just, you, you sit there and see what Patrick Reed did in the bunker at Tigers tournament, yet he still plays in the President's Cup. You see what what Brooks Kepka's caddy and, 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 and the interaction between, and Gary Woodland is a great guy, but that interaction with um, on the 15th at Augusta. Well, let's explain that. What happened there? So the, They showed five for they, a five iron, They correct? showed five for a five iron, and that is that is against the rules. So now, caddies can't help the, in that regard. The caddies are not allowed to do that to... To, to give that information back and forth to one another. Now, the caddy is allowed to flash it to the TV person. So that is relayed to, to the booth to let them know what club he's hitting, but not within the players. That's, that's advice. That's giving advice, and it's not it's just not allowed. What was a rule, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, and I'm sure there's a bunch that will come to mind, but what was a rule that always seemed to come up every week where – and you're a stickler on the rules. A gentleman's game, the game of golf, you, you do things honestly. But was there one that stood out that always seemed to pop up that you questioned or you had to get a rules official or you ask your partners, whatever the case may be? Yeah, Danny. Typically, whenever I'd fire one off into the bushes or something and I'd be under a grandstand or something that was was put up for the, for the tournament itself. So it's called a TIO, a Temporary Immovable Obstruction. And, excuse me, they would have, back when I grew up, you know, they made a, a modification of the USG and the RNA rules of golf about seven or eight years ago. And, um, uh, but prior to that, the, the, some of the rules were, they just was confusing. And so I would always call for a rules official. And what's, what's little known uh, by most of our listeners is that if the rules official puts you in a wrong spot or gives you the wrong advice, you're not held accountable. Okay, There's so no if, penalty. So if, I, if you're playing, Danny, and I'm officiating, and you say, hey, uh, am I entitled to relief? And I give you relief, and that's incorrect, that's no penalty on you because you went – you went to the to the uh, official and the officiating uh, body, and 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 it works that way. So, um, I would always ask them because I really wasn't sure. And now, you know, I know what the rule is. And and uh, but whenever you're going to a tour event and there's these man-made things out there, your ball seems to just attract them. So at least mine did. I found them an awful lot. And so you're wondering, you know, obviously it's not a penalty to hit into them. Uh, but how do I take the right sort of relief? So if you, if you, for example, Danny, if, if I think I know the rule and I drop in a certain area and I play on from there and that's incorrect, then I do get penalized. Okay. And it's from playing from a wrong area, taking an incorrect drop. So that, that can happen. So what the right, the, the players on the PGA tour will do regularly is call officials in all the time. Smart move. And, Danny, we saw that happen with Rory at the U.S. Open on the 17th. Um, we saw Rory call the official in. She gave him the incorrect space on where she's supposed to drop, and he, he still wound up making bogey. It didn't affect the championship, but he wasn't to blame at all. Officials have to go through testing, too, to become an official on the PGA Tour. 
No doubt, Danny. And there's certifications, there's testing that you have to continually stay up with. And these things are obscure. I mean, some of the stuff they throw at you is really, really difficult. So we're going to get into now advancing the story, the Scottish Open, and the the weather is treacherous over there. You see that during the British Open. So we're going to talk about playing in bad weather. The tip segment is coming up. This is Beyond the Fairways presented by Darty Business Solutions. Have you ever wanted tips from a PGA pro? It's the tips segment on Beyond the Fairways with PGA professional Jay Delsing and four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Tips segment, we're brought to you by Darty Business Solutions, and we're talking about playing in bad weather. You're going to see plenty of that the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Danny, one of the things is be prepared. Get your umbrella, get lots of towels. Now, there's a difference in bad weather when it's rain compared to just, you know, wind and things like that. When you're over in Europe, you got to prepare for everything. Turtlenecks, it can get super, super cold and windy, and it'll usually be, there's always some rain in there. The first thing I look for when I'm watching European golf is what does the golf course look like? Check the color of the fairways because they don't do a lot of the watering, the aesthetic watering like we do over in the U.S. We want our courses green and lush. They are played the way they're found. If it's a rainy season, the golf is the golf course is green. If it's a dry season, that thing looks like a trisket and it runs like a trisket, bouncy and and all over the place. So um, it, it'll be really interesting to see what the golf course is like. Like I saw a flyover for the Scottish Open, and the golf course looked unseasonably green. So it'll be really interesting to see if that's the case or when that fly, flyover was done. We have a lot of people that take a vacation, and they go in the summer months to Europe, and they want to see how to play those courses. As you mentioned, it can be you know, like kind of like hitting on a rock, isn't it, You know, in terms of just hitting the ball low, getting it below the wind, and let that baby run. So it's a lot of low irons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Danny, the ball's close to the ground over there. You try to play it close to the ground, and we're going to talk about this in our next segment around the greens. You're going to see a lot of pitching runs and a lot of bumping runs and a lot of putters and even hybrid clubs used right off the edge that's really, really handy and, and can help you handle some really tough lies and some tough shots. So someone's going over to St. Andrews. What, what's your advice for them besides oh. bundle up? I mean, bundle up or bring bring it, bring that and just try to take it all in. Stay out of the bunkers if you can, yes. especially the They're fairway deep, bunkers man. are these pits, Danny. They're mostly circular. They're five to eight feet deep, and they're round, and that ball just seems to want to hide out on the edges and really makes it tough. Away we go. This is Beyond the Fairways. More coming up, and we're presented by Darty Business Solutions. Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty 
business solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. Okay, you're playing over in Europe. You're saying, I'm right around the green. How am I chipping? Am I going to putt it? Am I using something different with a bump and run? What What are you doing? What's so, the general idea? Danny, mostly you're going to see tightly mown areas, really closely mown hard, firm surfaces, and a lot of bounces and moguls and hills and things like that. The ball, usually you want to keep that ball on the ground if you can. Also, with the wind usually blowing hard, it's much easier to keep that ball down and and so you're going to see a lot of hybrids and a lot of little bump and runs this week and next week at the british open as crazy as it sounds the wind can affect putting too correct Oh, no question i've stood on the green with the wind blowing you could see the ball oscillate yeah i've even called an official over and said if i hit this is it considered hitting a moving ball because the ball is not actually, you know, it's wiggling because the wind is blowing so hard. And so they have special rules and things like that. And and, uh, and I've actually had the ball, had the wind blow the ball offline while I was trying to putt it. Unbelievable. Innovations in golf is our segment. And one of the things that you see is the hybrid, which was not around basically when you were on tour. It was different. But the hybrid has changed for some people, what they can do around the green. Yeah, no question. And folks, if you just take your hybrid, obviously you're going to choke up on it a little bit because the shaft is going to be considerably longer than your putter shaft. But just use a putting motion. That that hybrid will have a little bit of loft. It'll gently get the ball up in the air, and then it'll start tumbling very, very soon thereafter. So it's a really, really handy shot. Danny, my buddy Todd Hamilton won the British Open years ago with that tailor-made hybrid that was, I mean, he hit it, I don't know how many times that last day, all the way around the greens and really did it effectively. This is Beyond the Fairways, and we're presented by Darty Business Solutions. We're going to talk about our picks of the week, the Scottish Open at Renaissance Club in North Berwick. That's on Beyond the Fairways. Where do we find the best golfers in the world this week? It's time for the picks segment on Beyond the Fairways. Beyond the Fairways presented by Darty Business Solutions, Scottish Open at the Renaissance Club in North Berwick. Okay, our picks of the week, as uh, Jay mentioned in our first segment, all the times we've been picking every single week. One of us is a pretty good pick. So I'll start with my, um, my favorite, and I know this is not going out on a limb, He's had a top 12 finish or better in 18 come, straight come events. Come on. That Scotty is Scheffler. amazing. That is, a, that is one hell of a run. Top 12 in 18 straight. And, Danny, he's had weeks where he can't put the ball into the ocean. He, one week he lost, was it, oh, I don't know, four or five strokes to the field and strokes gained putting or strokes it's lost crazy. putting, I should say. So you're picking Scotty. I love it. I am going with a couple of Euros over here. Okay, my... my Give me the favorite first. I'm going to say my favorite. I, I could go with either one of these being a favorite or a dark horse. I'm going to go Terrell Hatton is going to be my pick to click and see if he can't go ahead and knock this thing off as a, as a championship. He was on CBS. I guess it was he finished around. He was on CBS maybe three or four weeks ago. A likable guy. Oh, he's man. funny. He's funny. He's snarky. Yes. He's a uh, he's a little sandpaperish. He's uh, and then he also has that British sense of humor, which is really really interesting. Little edge to him. Okay, my dark horse, and you're going to say, what are you talking about? How can you go with Justin Thomas? And 
I think he's due for a breakthrough. It's been a tough year for him. But in my opinion, and I'm sure you'll agree, he is a very good bad weather player, and I think you're going to see some bad weather. At least it's forecast for that this weekend at the Scottish Open. So I'm going to Dark Horse, Justin Thomas. I like it. You know, Justin Thomas had a good round in the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit after he had a really poor U.S. Open and said he felt like this was a low point of his entire career. Yep. And so, you know what, Danny, sometimes we need to hit that low point and we need something to bounce off of. And so I'm a huge fan of JT's. Kid's got so much game, two-time major champion. Uh, I would love to see him do well here. How about your dark horse? My dark horse is going to be, I'm staying all Euro, like I said. I'm staying on the on the left side of the pond, and I'm going with Tommy Fleetwood. Now, Tommy doesn't win very often. I think he's won a handful of times on the, on the uh, European Tour, never has won on the PGA Tour. And I think, Danny, if I'm not mistaken, I know I'm really close on this, he has won more money than anyone else without a championship uh, to his name. So uh, he had a really great finish. At the uh, U.S. Open, missed about a four to five footer on the last hole for sixty-two, and uh, not bad. Yeah, I, I look for Tommy like Fleetwood to play well. Yeah, you've gone with him a few times. You like him. You like his game. Yeah, he's got a solid game. He, he's. Uh, I think he's horses for courses. I think he does. He, horses for courses. I like that. Yeah, he's had a great record at this place over here. He finished. Uh, he's had a couple top fives. By the way, my favorite, Scotty Scheffler, missed the cut last year at the Scottish Open. Does that shock you? It, it does kind of shock me. me. And hell, Danny, that's probably the last time he finished out of the top 12. I 18 events in a, in a calendar year. He probably played 21 or 22 is all. It's, uh, he's a, he's a, he is a, uh, a really interesting guy. His compete level, I've said this before, is super, super high. And when he gets figuring out his putty, He's going oh, he's to, unbeatable. He's going to kill. And, you know, Rory's uh, had, had a, a great U.S. Open and, and, a, and a good record here, too. So keep an eye out for him. All right, my man. This was great. Really enjoyed your visit with Olin Brown. That was awesome. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Look forward to it, Danny. Thanks for being with me. You got it. Thank you. This is Beyond the Fairways presented by Darty Business Solutions.